Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hi, Michael. How are you doing today? Oh, uh, Barry, I'm great. Good to see you. I'm excited for our chat. Well, I'm excited about our chat too. We're going to discuss today, we're going to sort of bring it all back home today and talk about media theory in specific reference to the last two years we've experienced, which is uh, both of us are teachers. Both of us have had to teach during uh, the online, you know, the COVID era, the pandemic era. Uh, both of us are, te- we should mention that both of us are teaching at the university level. So we haven't had the problem, I don't know, is this fair to say, Michael? We haven't had the problem with closures that high schools and elementary schools uh, faced, or would you think we had an analogous situation? Not in, in a weird way. I, in yeah. a weird way, I'd say that my experience has actually been more disrupt. My wife is a kindergarten teacher. Sure. And so when mm-hmm. everybody shut down in the spring of 20, mm-hmm. you know, she was home teaching remotely. Um, I was home teaching remotely, mm-hmm. but then, uh, in, in the, you know, the, the, how do I want to say this? Maybe, um, with the, the, the ever impressive wisdom of the Florida, uh, educational system, uh, the following fall, That's a great word they, for they, it. they were shot directly back in. So my wife has been in the classroom, um, you know, face to face, face to face the entire time. Um, I, uh, have been. <laughs> I, I've been bounced in and out of the classroom, uh, I think probably four times now, um, oh, wow. just because where I work, if, um, you know, a student um, has tested positive and then ended up in the classroom, then we, we ended up going quarantine. Or if you were, if I was around somebody and, um, you know, I've been fortunate, uh, knock on wood so far, but at the same time, uh, yeah, we've been, my class has been quarantined. My classes have been quarantined a handful of times. So it's been disrupted. So it has been disruptive, but, and we thought today we would sort of stop and take a look at our own backyard and think about the ways in which, uh, and think specifically, let me be careful in phrasing this. We're gonna try to take today, we're gonna try to take the media theory that we've been reading for the last year or more. Has it been over a year? I think it has been. Um, a little while now. Yeah, been a little while. Our, our particular intensive course of media theory reading. We're going to try to take it and see if we can articulate some lessons, things we learned um, about the opportunities and costs that are involved in having a mediated classroom. Let me just say one thing before we begin the discussion. Just thinking about the, this is a way of sort of highlighting uh, the particular time uh, in which we live and the topic that we're trying to engage. Uh, I used to be uh, associate chair of curriculum in my English department. And for many, many years, oh, well, not um, backtrack, I guess I, I did it for about five years at the uh, starting around 2012. Now for many, many years, both pre- preceding my tenure and then after my tenure, the English department was kind of a, um, an odd person out in the university curriculum. And then we had maybe one, maybe two online classes. And part of what got uh, Michael and I thinking about it is that after 
the pandemic, after COVID, um, everything went online. And that we are living, you know, in the, we, we now have the experience, which in my particular case, I had no experience with. And, and, and not only I was not familiar with this experience, no one in my department was very, I, I'd be interested to hear if that was different in your case, but in my department, it's not just Barry Falk who didn't know how to handle the digital classroom. Everybody, with one exception, had to figure out how to use Zoom. And so we are, we're going to talk today about sort of the opportunity, the lessons learned, the opportunities and costs, the, uh, the, uh, the, the opposite, the problems and pitfalls and, and opportunities that are caused by digital learning. And I think the first thing to say about it is we had to have in my department, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about, you know, if your experience was similar, Michael, in our department, we had to have a quick learning curve. We had to learn Zoom immediately. Yeah, so I think that my sort of relationship to technology professionally is probably pretty different than yours. So where I mm -hmm. work, um, they, you know, online education has been a big thing for quite some time. So quite some time. Um, okay. Now, but more, more to be specific about though, this was asynchronous education. So I think that it's probably important just to clarify a couple terms. Let's do, yes, yes. Because should. this yes. can get really confusing otherwise. So mm -hmm. the traditional model of education is face-to-face -face education, right? Where an instructor, a teacher, professor, whomever mm -hmm. is in the classroom with the students at a given time in a particular place for a set amount of time, right? So that's the traditional model of education that I think most people think of with education. Um, online education is the way we do it is asynchronous, meaning I will have a website uh, that has a course shell and I will upload readings, assignments, discussions, it's you know video, whatever, into this course shell. And I will typically allow each unit to be open for a particular amount of time. So let's say that I have a module that's open for two weeks. Uh, students at their own, you know, according to their own schedule on their own time, whether it's three o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock in the morning, uh, go on to the website, pull up the content and complete the assignments. Uh, and then I essentially grade them, uh, respond to any emails, uh, as they come in, right? So I, it, it's sort of hands-off education in a sense. We had another module, another version of this mm -hmm. that was split. Now this is all pre-pandemic, right? So you had the face-to-face -face learning, you had online education, and then we had a blended model, which was half and half, right? So I would mm -hmm. meet with students typically once a week, and then the other half of the class would be done online. And what happened with the pandemic is that everybody pivoted. And again, this is my experience. I'm not saying this is the same for everybody, but we pivoted to this, what we called live online. So all the meetings were virtual. Uh, we use Zoom. Uh, I know other places have used other programs, but essentially it's the same thing as I understand it. Um, so we would meet digitally, much as you and I are meeting now, Right. Correct. Uh, right. I would see the students in their own places, wherever they were. And, you know, students were able to uh, do this on a laptop, on a tablet, on a phone many times. So um, I would teach from my office uh, on a computer and they would 
be wherever they were on a computer. We could see each other. We could interact in real time. Um, so in many ways, it mimicked the face-to-face -face classroom because we're all here. You know, I've got 20 different little windows with students and, um, you know, everybody can talk. We use a chat function. Uh, there's a little button to raise your hand, whatever the case may be. So um, in many ways, that seemed to be, I, I guess you'd say like a, a digital facsimile of the face-to-face -face classroom. What was interesting about it is, as you said, the learning curve. And I think that in the immediate aftermath of Zoom, there was a ton of conversation about you know, best practices, what works, what doesn't. And so my interest in having this conversation is really spurred on by the fact that we're past that. And I think that we're now at a place where yeah. we can be reflective. Yeah. I'm not really interested in the best practices conversation. I'm interested more in what happened, right? So okay. what are the affordances of Zoom? Uh, what's it allow? What's it disallow? What do we, you know, what are the opportunities and costs of Zoom? And so um, I think with that language, out of the way, uh, we can we can have this conversation. And okay. there's, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I just want to very briefly sort of backtrack and give a clear I, a clear definition or description in, emboldened by your example. I'm going to try to give a clearer account than I provided of of my particular department's transition into this world. But I'm eager to get. I'll just just for the record. But I'm eager to get to the meat of the conversation, because as you said, uh, the meat of the conversation, the impetus for this conversation, I don't think it's good to talk about conversation as meat anyway, but the impetus for this conversation was that we wanted to do this kind of assessment of, uh, you know, what we feel um, we have learned, uh, if anything, from having this experience um, of the digital classroom that we're still trying. And also behind what we're, I think the other impetus really maybe the core impetus for what we're doing today is we're trying to think of what the hell to do now. Like what's the future look like? What should the future look like? What will it look likely look like? So I'll just say that um, um, to clarify, when I was talking about the pre-COVID era and my experience in my, in, during my, you know, I was there for a couple of years as a risk associate chair of curriculum. And I said that we had very few online courses. What I really meant to say is that we had very few asynchronous online courses. I right. think we had two. Okay. Um, so, and then when we transitioned, just to be a little bit clearer, we transitioned not to asynchronous classes. Um, and indeed, and I think starting this year, but only starting this year, we had possibility of hybrid classes. Although it's interesting in our case, we pretty much had to ask for permission to do a hybrid class. Hmm. So our transition was from having a face-to-face -face class to, I, I, I wrote down your words because I like how you describe it. We went from, live face-to-face -to -face directly to, do not pass go, we went directly to digital facsimile of a face-to-face -face classroom. And that's basically where we are right now. Right. So with that in mind, with that out of the way, let's, let's I, I wanted to, let's turn to you, Michael. What, what, what's your feelings about where we are now, where we've been and where we're going? Okay, so um, I think that in order to have the conversation about what is Zoom brought, 
I'm just going to refer to it as Zoom because that's what it is for me. Um, I think I got to step back and look for a second at those asynchronous classes because I think that one at the heart of this conversation is really the question of how do these particular techno particular technologies orient us and the students to the task of education. And so to start, I really want to talk about the asynchronous model for a second, because I think it's an interesting um, disruption, if you will, right? And so we're going to start just to sort of well, ground let, this. Let me, can you clarify that word when you say? Disruption? So you're saying, yeah, because- abs abs Absolutely. Because you're, but, but, but here's my question. My question is, I assume when you talk about the asynchronous classroom as a disruption, you're, are you talking about that post-pandemic or are you just saying period? Period. The okay. Period. Right. That was and my so, question. And, and, and so, you know, we're, uh, this is, this whole conversation is predicated upon the idea that technology, whether it's in education or whether it's mm -hmm. in our personal private lives or our professional lives, functions as a pharmacon, which is a term we've used multiple times. But mm -hmm. if it's mm -hmm. new to you, the idea of the pharmacon is that it is both the poison and the cure, right? And so I want to look at the asynchronous model for a second, because it's mm -hmm. an interesting opportunity to see how technology orients particular or, or, or creates a particular view. So in this model, I, the instructor, upload content the student accesses this content and completes it. And really my only interactions with students in this model tends to be via email. The exceptions are rare, right? And that email 90% of the time says, hey, this thing happened, can I have an extension, <laughs> right? Or, hey, why did that module close on me? Close on can me when I wasn't done, yes, right. But what it tends to do is it tends to make the process of education transactional, right? Okay. Um, students, maybe for lack of a more elegant phrasing, are buying course credits. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to complete this work. You know, you, I'll open up a discussion board where students are supposed to post something that ideally they come back two days later and they respond to what another uh -huh. student has written. Right? Uh -huh. And these discussion boards overwhelmingly produce the exact same type of content every time, right? It is incredibly difficult to get students to truly engage with a question. It is infinitely more difficult again to get them to engage with their peers, right? In a classroom, interesting. in a classroom, you can just leverage that uncomfortable silence for 30 seconds and suddenly everybody's got something to say. Here, it's let me log in because I know he checks that I log in. Let me check this box and check this box. So education Everything comes about checking the boxes. That's, that's what you mean by it's, transaction. It is. It's transactional. And so that's a real disruption. That's what I meant by disruption okay, from what we I consider the traditional model. Right. I got it. And so um, by this token, if we look at something like Zoom, the Zoom class, you know, we think of the pharmacon, the poison, and the cure, uh, the, the good and the bad. The there, there's a measure of accountability over an asynchronous class that these live online classes tend to engender because you have to 
be there. Now, we have all sorts of little fringe technological issues, like do you have a camera? I mean, it's no secret, right? If you if you sat through a Zoom meeting, the temptation to log in, kill your camera, and then go walk off and play with the dog for an hour is real, okay? But in my classes, I require them to have the camera on, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, I just it's, it's just the cost of being in class. I wouldn't ask you to come to class and go to sleep. If you're going to do that, stay home, go to bed. It's more comfortable, right? So the idea that these are you know, that the technology orients us in a particular way, I think is problematic because my Mm. experience has not borne that out, right? I think that Mm -hmm. each particular application of technology creates or, or, or privileges certain types of interaction. Um, So it's a very pharmacon way of looking at it, that there, we don't know in advance what the technology is going to introduce, but that we have to, um, evaluate context. We have to think about context and we have to think about the moment and the situation in order to figure out whether it's bad or good or a mixture, right? Right. So here's a question then. Uh, and this is, this is like a question I naturally end up at. So I'll, I'll toss it to you uh, before I answer my own question. Um, but if, if we look at these asynchronous classes as sort mm-hmm. of an outlier because it encourages box checking Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we privilege the completion of the task over the journey, right? I mean, I sound like right. an, an right. idealist here, but if you think about these digital meetings, in a way, there's not really a whole lot different on the surface than there is in the face-to-face classroom, right? I come in, you come in, I talk for a bit, you listen for a bit. I ask some questions, you answer some questions, you ask some questions, I ask some questions, somebody cracks a few stupid jokes, we recap the questions, we relive the jokes, we go home. So how do you see the differences? Because you've taught at this point, it's not new, right? You've, you've done this in meetings, you've done this in classrooms, I've done this in meetings, I've done the classrooms. but. I think we both agree, and I think anybody listening who's had the experience of sitting in a Zoom meeting versus sitting in a, you know, a physical meeting would agree that there's something profoundly different. So you're putting me on the spot and saying, what is profoundly different? So you're asking me the million dollar question and I'm gonna try and answer it. No, don't, it. I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. Um, although I will, I'll do my usual bit of, uh, what's the word? What would I usually, I usually equivocate at these moments when you, when you push me on. And I will equivocate, but, but let me come out and say, I do feel there is something qualitatively different. There is something different, but, okay, here's my equivocation. There's something different, Michael, at the same time, I'll be damned if I can tell you what that difference resides in. Let me think a moment here. What does that difference reside in? Well, let me throw you a bone because I okay, think I have an idea. Throw me a bone. What is, and what and is... this is so here's this is let me again be clear with this. I'll throw you the bone, but I don't know what the bone means yet. Okay. Okay. So there's something about physical presence. And my theory about it is that somehow the absence of physical presence increases the levels of distraction or decreases the levels of focus. And 
I don't know whether it's a social pressure because let's be honest, if you're sitting on your computer in a digital meeting, you can open a million different windows. You can play on that computer till your heart's content. But at the same time, I am a, so again, a little <laughs> self-disclosure here. I'm a horrible meeting goer. I hate them. Right. And so I find that if I've got a tablet or if I've got my phone in front of me, I'm, 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 I'm going to be guilty of this. I'm going to be right. Yeah. So it's, it's impossible to say that it's purely a distraction thing, but I think that there's something within that there's something to say about physicality and attention. Okay. It's significant. Okay. So there's my bone for you, but I don't know you what to do with me that. A, well, I, I know somewhere to go with that bone. Thank you for throwing me the bone. Cause I have, two things and I'm going to perhaps use a controversial analogy. How about that? How about this? Maybe one of the reasons I'm finding it difficult to articulate what is missing in the, in the digital facsimile of the classroom is because it has nothing to do with language. It's all the body. It's all about the mute, physical, brute, bloody fact of having a body in the room. And I'm going to use this analogy. Um, I was listening to a Catholic apologist on our favorite uh, podcast. Can I mention another uh, podcast on our podcast? Free advertisement. I think Hermetics. you should. I think you should. Okay. Hermetics. Well, he recently he had, I won't mention names. I'll just give them a shout out for the Hermetics podcast. But he had a, a Catholic apologist talking about the, you know, the decision to take children to take children to church, and so they were uh, the criticism of taking children. He was dealing with the criticism of parents saying, well, you know, why am I going to take my kid to church, especially my young child to church, when obviously church is doctrinal. Um, and especially the Catholic Church, there's a lot of doctrines, sometimes very heady, abstract doctrines that are way beyond any, any child's comprehension. So what's the point of taking them to church and hearing a homily uh, when they cannot quite understand it? And so listen to this. I wonder if this is sort of parallel to the situation, you know, if this is a kind of indirect answer to your question. So here's what the apologist said. You absolutely need to take your child to church because the church experience is only partly about the, the linguistic expression, the language used in the classroom. It's also about music. It's also about sights, smells, and sounds. Now, he didn't talk about embodiment. But that's really what he was talking about. He was saying, well, the reason to go to church to participate in that way is that mental participation is not enough. There has to be a physical in person. A, a crucial part of religious education is this physical, nonverbal education. Isn't that what we're talking about here? Yeah, let me let me throw a different example at you, which seems Please. wildly obvious now that you said this, but you think about the difference between listening to an album and watching it be performed live in front of you. And Tell me you more. Think about, you think about this sort of intermediate step, which is you know watching a live performance on television, right? Um, there is something prof 
profoundly intimate and personal about being at a show. And I don't even care how big the show is. I mean, what you and I saw, uh, Bruce Springsteen with, you know, what, how many thousands of, thousands our, of, people, of, right. of our dear friends. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> our dear friends. And I've, you, you know, I, I can listen to uh, a live recording of him. Mm-hmm. And it's not the I, same. No, and I don't think the show that we saw was a particularly good one, mm-hmm. but it was still better. It's memorable in a way that a live recording may never be, right? So could never be in this. So, so the question then becomes is, is the question then one of memory? Are we because what so one of the interesting things that I that I, that I struggle with when thinking about this, and uh, I'm referring here to to David Lewin's article, uh, the Pharmacon of Educational Technology, the Disruptor of Power of Attention Education, and he says a lot of really interesting things in here. But there's two things in particular, two ideas that I kind of want to tease out, right? And the first one is he makes a distinction between education and learning. And to me, when I think about just education, that's the asynchronous class. Here is the stuff, know it, right? Learning is part of a discussion and a part, and, and, and what makes a discussion valuable is memory, right? Is the recall, is the interaction. And it's a different flavor of interaction. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I think is really fascinating that he talks about is that he, and this is basically the argument about more being less. He, he, he makes this argument that the more instantly available uh, digital goods that we have, and I think he's, if I recall correctly, he's talking here about just streaming stuff in general, but the more that we have, the less value it has. And I think if you couple that with the idea of memory, these on-demand classes, these live online classes, anything that takes the physicality out of the discussion suddenly has to compete with every other bit of streaming information, pun intended. Um, And there's just not enough bandwidth in our brains to make that valuable. Whereas when you set aside the physical space and say, this is a place where you will have to engage your physical senses, your memory will have to come into play here. When you leave, this is no longer accessible. This now becomes something that, you know, in in whatever form has to get stored. Uh, I I think that we make the reality very different. Mm -hmm. Michael, I don't know how long we're into our conversation. Usually it takes us a while to get to the precipice where we get to the precipice and then all of a sudden I think, um, oh my goodness, uh, the world is about to end. Everything is over. Civilization is finished. Right. Usually it takes us a while to get there, but I think we've, we've reached the precipice already. I'll tell you what I mean. Yeah. Um, I think what we just both argued ourselves into is the, is the idea that or educa- I like to, the fact that you brought in Lewin and that distinction between education and learning. And that education does not m- require the body, but learning requires the body and an embodiment. Mm-hmm. 
okay, but now here's what I mean by the precipice that just comes into view. If that's the case, are we not effed up? Because, I, let, me, let me finish. Sure, sure, sure. Why are we effed up? Because this is my bringing, now addressing the question of going forward. My sense of where my institution is going from here on in is that I think the digital, I think the digital facsimile of the classroom might be here to stay regardless of COVID. I may be wrong on that. But if that's the case, aren't we in essence saying that education, that learning, not education, education is gonna, education takes the pandemic fine. I think that's one of the things we're learning, but isn't the process of learning and the physical embodiment that comes that is the pro part of the process of learning that, as you very rightly point out, builds memory and builds retention, right? Aren't we saying that uh, the, the university, I'm not sure, I won't speak for other places, but isn't the university, this is why I'm saying we're messed up, this is the precipice. I don't see us going back. Well, I, so first of all, I think you just showed a tremendous amount of restraint by not saying, isn't this fucked up? I'm trying to do the G for G rated version of our I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you. Um, I think the G rated podcast. I think it depends on how you view technology and how you see things. Um, it's certainly changing. I think it's far too early to say for certain what this will be. You know, one of my favorite lines of all time uh, comes from a William Gibson essay uh, called Rocket Radio, which I think showed up in Rolling Stone, and I think it was 1989. But the, the line that he said, the line, his line, which I love, he's talking about, uh, I think he's talking about radios and technologies, and he says, you know, the street will always find its own use for things. Uh, the essential argument being, look, you can create something that's intended to do A mm -hmm. and people are going to get it and find a way to do X, Y, and Z with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the interesting things about the rapid shift to Zoom mm -hmm. was that, I mean, as you said, everybody had to figure out, okay, what the hell is this and how do I use it? And it was really I don't want to say it was funny, but it was interesting. It was instructive to watch the different people in my sphere. You could almost tell how much someone was going to be comfortable based on their age. The older you were, the more likely you were to hate it because the harder it was for you to pivot from what you know and what you've done for so long. Whereas the younger the faculty, the more naturally they were able to not just adjust to a digital interface, but to also anticipate some of the issues and problems. And yeah, so, it, that would occur with the transition, yeah. Right, exactly. and so I think one of the questions about are we, you know, are we uh, doomed? Is education doomed? I, I think is going to largely depend hmm. on the balance that we can strike and the way that we can make these technologies our own. Um, I don't think that you can say we're screwed any more than you can say that someone who walks into a classroom physically is going to do a good job. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I don't know that that's necessarily a fair assessment. It's sure, certainly fair to say it's a whole lot different. And I know that where I work, my institution is trying very much to get back to face-to-face. Yes, but, they, but we and have, probably we are too. I might, I might have misspoken. But there's I, no, there's no intention to drop live on. No, no. Process. Well, I okay. That I think describes the situation. I I feel that my institution and I maybe I it's very possible that I'm misreading. So you know, let me do that qualification, um, that that disclaimer that I'm I honestly don't know what our administrators are planning. But my sense of it, my best sense of it, is that it's somewhere in between um, going back face-to-face as if COVID never happened, as if the online classroom, the digital classroom never happened, and retaining the best of what we learned from, you know, not just the worst, but the best of what we learned from the online, the Zoom experience. So, you know... We're, we're kind of confused, in other words, I think. So let me ask you this, because I feel at this point. Or torn. We're torn. We, yeah. yeah. So what's, if we look at these technologies mm-hmm. as pharmacons, yes. and we resist the urge to turn into Chicken Little and yell, and the, say sky the, falling, the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, right? There's the cliff. But we also, I think, have to resist the urge to turn into Candide and say, say this is, this is awesome. the best of all possible worlds. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because there's there's a faction that's done that. I mean, there there's, yes, there's there certainly a group that's like, man, teaching in my pajamas is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think if we resist the polls, um, what where does that leave us? What's like? So, you know, we've talked about, okay, here's what Zoom hath brought. This is, you know, this is this is what the new landscape looks like. And these are some of the concerns. Where does this leave us? Give us your grant. What's 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 the grand takeaway? That's a great question. Uh, Well, again, my equivocation, I think where it leaves us is if not, I used the word confused earlier, and I was describing it to our my university administrators. But really, I think what I meant is conflicted. And I think I'll take that on and describe my own um, my own feeling. I think that also describes my own feelings about the future. I feel conflicted in the sense that I felt, and this could be wrong. I felt that I had good classrooms. I think you had this experience as well. I did. I felt that at certain times we had, even without, you know, bracketing off what we were saying about embodiment. And I think that it's definitive to me from what I've learned from media theory. I think what I really have learned, I have to conclude that despite my own subjective impression, I have to say that there is, it's a, big loss for memory. It's a big obstacle for memory, for making the classroom memorable, for increasing retention and increasing the quality of attention, all the Bernard Stiglierian keywords. I think I have to conclude that without embodiment, without bodily presence, there is something lacking and that will remain lacking in the digital facsimile of the classroom. So 
This is what I mean by conflicted. While my mind, while Barry Falk, the Stiegler admirer says, there's, there's something wrong. There's something lacking. There is a gap. There just has to be a gap. And the gap is um, in everything that you know, Stiegler explains why there's a gap. Um, the online teaching experience gives the student access to education in a very transactional way. And it encourages a very individualized kind of learning. Now, learning is individualized, but we're not just talking about individualized learning. We're talking about individualized learning that is, in a curious way, bodiless, interactionless. I have to conclude that that's a problem. That same time, what I was about to say, and here's what I mean by conflicted. I do feel I've had great classes using the digital facsimile of the classroom that I don't want to leave behind in the future. So to answer your question, there's a part of this I don't want to leave behind, even though I know theoretically and philosophically that I, I feel Stiegler is totally right, dogmatically right, that, that, that the lack of the body, that the digital interface that one of the things it does is it robs you of the bodily experience and that's fatal for retention practices. I, I think I have a slightly more optimistic view of this than you do. So I agree wholeheartedly that the physical matters. Um, I think that the big problem the thing that really education would be wise to focus on but would probably be reluctant to focus on because of the mm -hmm. economics of education is time right i my experience is that the synchronous class is so exponentially more effective than the asynchronous class I think that live interaction is crucial for education. I see the physical, I think, a little differently than you do. Um, I, I think, I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna come up with a term here. I think that the digital physicality has the potential to be every bit as effective as the one. The, the tangible, the, the tangible corporeal. corporeal physicality yeah, right yeah, yeah and yeah. um but i think that it brings i think when it's digitized it brings a very new question okay so you know you and i are several hundred miles apart yet i'm sitting here in front of you i see you and i find these meetings to be profoundly engaging and i i take quite a bit from them um the problem to overcome i think with digital physicality as opposed to corporal physicality mm -hmm. is attention and the potential for distraction. And so what the Zoom classroom problematizes is the issue of value, right? Hmm. You and I sit down to have a discussion. The value, you know, I, I come to, I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for you here, though I think you'd agree with me. There is value in this discussion, and it is our mutual job to tease it out. 
and in we're a, invested in making it. And work. that's the question right there: is how do you create investment? Because the good, and you know what we've both experienced, what we'll call a good class, right? Mm-hmm. What makes that good is getting the students to invest. Invested. Exactly. And so, and right. so right. that Precisely. becomes that becomes the problem. I don't think it's fair to say that there is inherently more distraction in a purely digital classroom than there is in a purely analog classroom because I still bring my devices into them, you know? Um, And I I think that there's certainly a joy. I mean, I remember the first time I stepped back in the classroom this year, I I looked at my students and I was like, oh my God, people, you're real. And there was just a joy from actually yeah. being in a classroom with other yeah. human beings. Like, so that physicality matters, but I think that the real question isn't so much the physicality because again, we can digitally replicate physicality. I think that it's just more natural to distill value in a face-to-face environment, but that's just my two cents. No, I, I, I like your two cents. You know what? I think we, this is a good, this is a good time to wrap up. Yeah, I, because I think we're wrapping up with the pharmacon mm-hmm. because I think both of us, especially what you just did, is point us toward the dual nature, the dual aspect of our dilemma that with the new situation, the new context of digital media ties physicality then there's a new problem that emerges along with the new situation. And the new problem can, you know, it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. We know that it's not hopeless. But the new problem that has to be surmounted is the problem of attention and investment. How do you get the individual student to care about the Zoom session? to attend to the Zoom session. And see, that's I think, the problem. Yes, that's and the I, issue. I think that in many ways is the same task, just a different different mode of the when, other, when you walk into the, the class situation. Yeah. Yes. And, and so I think this is this is bad. This is this is me invoking Gibson again, right? It's every person's going to find their own unique use to this. So I don't think that it's productive to say the tool is bad. I don't right. know. Right. I, th- I think it's more like, how are you using the tool? Yeah. And so, Pharmacon. Pharmacon. There you go. There you go. We're ending with the Pharmacon, which is a good place to end. It but, is. Well, I, Michael, I really enjoyed this discussion about, and we're going to, I really enjoyed this discussion about education in the particular moment in the digital classroom in our particular moment. And shouldn't we uh, give a little preview that we're going to continue in this mode for another for a little while now? Or two. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think so. Well, Barry, it was great seeing you. Even if even if it was virtual, Barry, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold the digital the digital aspect of this against you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much for that, Michael. And it's been a great afternoon, and I wish you a, a great day. Same to you. Hey there. One more thing, real quick. If you have questions or comments about what we've talked about, go ahead and drop us an email from our website at www.criticalmediastudiespodcast.com, or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Critical Media Studies Pod. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.